Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men find clarity and fulfillment in their lives through the pursuit of purpose. And so on this episode, we have another special guest. He is a professional martial artist, as well as the host of of a close quarter dad. His name is Adam Mitchell. Thank you for coming to the show, Adam. Hey, Kamani, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to spending this time in this conversation. Yeah, likewise, I'm really excited for today. And uh, just to give the listeners a little more information about you, uh, could you tell them more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Kamani, I'm a uh, father of four kids uh, out of New York. I've been teaching martial arts now uh, professionally at my school for about uh, going on 20, 25 years. And uh, before that, I've been martial arts and that lifestyle has been has really defined who I am for, for my whole life. Um, had the privilege of in the uh, in, in a younger life traveling over to Japan and finding my sensei and have been very committed since then to my teacher. So I've been able to live this experience of understanding a whole different culture and being able to have to step into that with their expectations and be able to follow instructions completely outside of like a Western paradigm and to step into an old world martial art Uh, not like a combat sport art, but into something completely different, a completely different language. Uh, And also the uh, immerse myself in the study of meditation and Zen and Zen practice uh, in my martial arts. And in 2000, I opened my school here in New York. And I also at around when I became a father, I realized that there is a, a whole different dimension to traditional martial arts And that was really trying to, instead of recreate the traditions, what I wanted to do is understand the effectiveness of technique, and then also be able to distribute those techniques and that learning to an appropriate audience for what was needed. Uh, So if we talk in the the scope of self-defense, what a six-year-old girl is going to need is going to be a lot different than what you may need when we have the same discussion. So my first phase really in those days was to create uh, a program for those that weren't interested, nor, you know, they, 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 didn't, they didn't have the calling to step into the level of commitment that I had, but I certainly had a responsibility if they came to me to be able to teach them certain things uh, that they were looking for in the world of martial arts or personal protection and self-defense. So during those years, I spent my time really deconstructing these traditional martial arts and trying to bring forward the techniques that were useful. But what I really didn't understand at the time was, uh, you know, there are different laws and rules and there are different, uh, you know, methods of engagement that someone in different professional communities might have, whether it be law enforcement or education. Uh, And then there are also certain risks that people face in different areas of their life, different careers, uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds and and where they live. So I really begin to immerse myself in the study of how do people stay safe? And then the dimensions just continue to expand and expand where um, how do we, how do we understand safety outside of what I call the point of no, it's not just me, but in, in the personal protection world, we have a thing called the point of no return which is when things go, things go hot, things go hands-on, or crime is already being committed, or we prepare to do a technique against someone grabs you and you do this. Well, the reality is, is it discounts 
all of the pre-conflict and everything that was involved in the escalation. And, you know, the escalation can be, I mean, it could be as we can, it, it could be as diverse as your mind can be creative. It can be something from someone saying something to you or looking at you, or it could be money is owed or a promise is made, or, I mean, escalation can be so many different things and go in so many different ways. But then there's also after that point of no return, which is the post-conflict, self-triage, litigation, calling law enforcement, all these things are so critically important. So at that time in my career, I really begin to uh, delve into the, uh, that side of our modern world and what my responsibility studying these old, these classical warrior arts now and today means. Uh, so that, that, created a kind of a whole separate world for me to pursue in my career. And um, that is one of the two reasons why I created in 2017, a program for dads as a father, myself, four kids, I created close quarter dad, which is a program that's designed to specifically help men work with their children. And I train dads to work with their kids based on the thousands of children I've worked with over 20 years here on my, in my schools and, uh, and, and what I've seen works and doesn't work and, and how to communicate with them. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell and how I got there. You do some great work. And uh, the you. question Thank I you. have for you is uh, what disciplines do you normally uh, work in whenever you teach them the self-defense? Like, or at least or what, what is it rooted in? Which, uh, which arts? That's a great question. It's actually not rooted in any art particular, but every art can offer something. Close quarter dad itself is... Uh, methods of, uh, of um, working with fathers to help educate them on what the most likely situations that your children are going to face are going to be and help give them, help teach them to have agency within those situations, to have confidence and understanding and know-how to be able to mitigate and manage those situations if they do begin to escalate and not get to the point of no return. So we're talking, Kamali, we're talking more in like the probability and the most likely to happen versus the most dangerous where Mm -hmm. dads are naturally going to go like, how do I prevent, how do I, how do I prevent my kid from being abducted? That's like right where their mind wants to go. It's like the worst case scenarios. But the true reality is, is that the likelihood of that happening is so infinitely small does happen. And I'm not going to discount that. But the reality of your 12-year-old daughter facing severe social exclusion is much, much higher than worst case scenarios. The likelihood of your child being bullied or, uh, or having to confront an adult in a verbal, aggressive verbal confrontation and how they need to manage themselves to prevent that escalation. Things like this are really, really critical. And being able to teach them that stuff and what happens in most likely when it does go hands-on, when you do get grabbed or you do get pushed, how do we train the body to be able to move from that? Well, we work from a baseline of already pre-programmed muscle memory. So things kids already know how to do, like splashing water on their face, you know, we'll reference the techniques there in already existing muscle memory. And then we don't teach the kids, the dads teach the kids. And most important, I teach the men how to engage with their children at different ages and the most likely scenarios that they could face at their age and the place in life that they're at. So, uh, okay. 
Yeah. So, so if that makes sense now, so it's really strictly personal protection. So close quarter dad really has three components to it. There's a trifecta of curriculum, teaching children how to protect their bodies. The second is teaching children how to stay found. And this can be wilderness. This can be urban in an urban setting. If a child gets disconnected from mom or dad and lost in a city or in a mall. And then also, like I already touched on that worst case scenario, abduction. What a child, what a father needs to do to teach their child what happens if they're abducted? What does that child need to do? And then be able to safely role play and go through scenarios with the child so that they actually have a fun and engaging time with dad and, and, and have some kind of memorable, like lifelong memories that they're going to share, but also be able to build trust with dad because dad now is not just dad. He's actually my guardian and my guide in this thing called life and how to get there, how to get through it safely. Uh, and then the final is a dad teaching a child what their role is in complete family unit safety. So, uh, you know, we, we do later on, we go into last resort training, which is going to be, you know, active shooter, uh, natural catastrophe, things of that nature, and how to be, you know, how to be an easy target for search and rescue in certain situations. So um, the, the environment of going hands-on in a like kind of a martial arts thing is not the most important. However, since you asked, I do encourage dads to get involved in a martial art with their kids. And it could be like you did Taekwondo. It could be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or mixed martial arts or Krav Maga or Kung Fu or Judo. Uh, it, it, you know, at a child's young age, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. And I can explain why. And I know there's probably a few of your listeners out there who are martial artists and they're saying, no way, you got to get your kid in BJJ or MMA or whatever. Right. Yes, but that's not the most important thing for the kids to pick up. It's not their ability to be able to kick ass in the street. There's a whole lot of other things that are critically important for a child inside of a martial art that goes way beyond their ability to pull off a, a, you know, a triangle choke uh, from the back. So, like so that's pretty much it. Did like, I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, cool. I think some of the things you're hinting at, the kids could pick up from it. I'm just taking a guess. Are you saying like discipline? like uh, emotional control, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. A couple of the biggest things, you know, if we stay inside that world of most likely outcomes, like what are children going to face the most? The reality of a kid getting into a fist fight and it going to the ground uh, or a kid being able to do a spinning back kick to another kid's face in a fight or, you know, we could go on and on with different examples of uh -huh. point of no return scenarios, but the reality is we don't want it to go to that place. Here's the thing a lot of dads uh, tend to forget about is that any type of fight, any type of violence a child is exposed to will leave traumatic imprints on them. And regardless of how, how righteous or noble their cause was. They stepped in to help someone. They stood up for themselves. All the things that us as dads and men want our children to do. We have to own the reality that when a child gets into a fight and they are breaking another human's body in their, with their hands, or they're feeling the compression of a strike into a face, this is something that will be recalled on for the remainder of their life. They've crossed the threshold that first time. I'm sure, you know, I don't know your history, but I know mine and I know a lot of other men out there. If they did get into a fight when they were a kid, which most of us have, 
we can immediately call that up. We remember it. We remember it. And there's a reason why we remember it. And if it gets bad to the point where a lot of the scenarios inside of martial arts training uh, step into, then we've already failed at our job as a parent. Now, things happen. Kids are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Kids act on poor judgment. There's very, it's, it's the very smallest incident, but there can be times when they are targeted out by a, a, by a bad person. The reality is, is that most of those incidents, over 80% of those victimization incidents of a child are going to happen from someone that they already know. Okay. So there is the opportunity to decompress or de-escalate or pacify even the situation. And that's what we as fathers and as men, and as even community leaders to children at large, you know, we work with groups, whether it be in scouting groups or school groups or community groups or big brother programs, we have a responsibility to be able to give those lessons to those children so that you know how to manage tension and stress as it escalates together with another person, rather than just going into these scenarios of violence and deconstructing them and working backwards. That's not really what we want to do for kids. But to your question, the benefit of martial arts for if we, if we want to talk in a personal protection place is hands-on, is, is someone grabbing you. Most kids don't know what that feels like, especially at that like age of like maybe like six to eight years old. They're used to holding on to mom, maybe big brother, big sister. I can always tell when a kid's got a big brother or big sister. But at that age, a child is still wanting to be nurtured and to latch on to the parents. So when another person grabs them in like judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or another, they have to put on pads and taekwondo and they get kicked, the, um, the shock element, exposure to that over and over again, creates their, an ability for them to be able to function inside of that, uh, inside of that, that minor trauma of getting hit, something that they haven't felt before. Holy crap, I just got hit. Like, I'm sure you could probably recall the first time you had your bell rung and you're confused and you're like, what, what? Or the first time you fell and had the wind knocked out of you and you didn't know how to fall. When this happens over and over and over again, a young person is able to develop a shorter gap in where they freeze. And you can have, you can have all the black belts in the world, but if you've never been exposed to impact or escalating violence, you go through, it's perfectly human. Adults do it, what's called a freeze, and they lock up and certain physiological things happen. But martial arts allows a child to have better agency inside that space. It gives them the ability to think through situations in shorter time frames as they're escalating. In the, in the martial arts school, it could be, you know, if you're doing Muay Thai, like guys coming in, okay, you're ready? Like, he's going to come at me with a right. Like, I got to think quick. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to move? How am I going to respond? This is important. The next thing for children in martial arts is I really think the following the directions of a community outside of their immediate family or school where they have to fall in line and they have to function as a group. That group dynamic is critically important for young people um, because inside that they're exposed to communicating and they're exposed to being able to stand up for themselves in the laboratory of a martial arts school. And the more they become exposed to that, the more comfortable they're going to be, be when, they, when it's presented in real life. And I think the third thing is, uh, is going to be 
is like being able to cross a threshold of anxiety. Testing anxiety is a perfect example. I know you have your black belt, Taekwondo. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that your first, your, your second, your, maybe your yellow belt or like those first belts, you're pretty nervous doing those tests. If you maybe step back into that experience, most people are, but eventually the testing anxiety begins to shift to an anxiety of not passing to overcoming that with mapping out how I need to pass this to I'm going to kick ass here. Now, when a child is exposed to that inside of like a Taekwondo school, well, then what does that mean when they have to do their college entrance exams? They don't step into testing anxiety because you know what? They've been doing it, the dojang now for, you know, 10 years. They're used, this is, they look forward to testing now. Test, stepping up to the plate and facing a test is exciting to them. So I think that that's another benefit of martial arts. And I might add a fourth one. Getting, getting in and getting after it with dad. If dad can do that martial art with them and not sit on the sidelines and, you know, thumb through their, you know, Facebook feed while their kids getting tossed or, you know, getting punched or going through kata or whatever the martial art is. If dad gets out there with them and they've got it, they've got some community there together. Incredibly powerful. I did, actually didn't even think of uh, those things, but now that you laid them out, it does make sense. And kind of thinking back. I can kind of make connections to the stuff that you were saying. And one more, one other thing that you mentioned earlier that uh, I think is something that a lot of people that are in a mature mindset kind of take on when they train in martial arts is that a uh, preventative mindset, you could say, because one thing about it is like when you're actually, well, especially like as a grown man, when you're going in there and you're sparring with people and you actually realize the type of damage you could do to somebody, uh, you being trained and then just being somebody off the street. I feel like you kind of take on a certain level of responsibility to where you start to teach yourself uh, or take on some of these preventative measures. Maybe like instead of fighting that guy, they might be drunk and talking at the bar, just walking away or finding ways to deescalate a situation. And so something I think that we could kind of branch into is, uh, you know, there are a lot of young guys that listen to this podcast. You know, they might go out to different environments like that, where let's say they could be challenged by somebody else and potentially get into an altercation. And so a question I would ask you is, um, what would you say is the first thing that guys should keep in mind if they get in a situation like that, where they feel like someone might become physically aggressive towards them? Okay. That's a, that's a great question. A lot of books written on it. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to talk through two things and then I'm going to step into your question. Um, But for, the gentleman who's listening to this question right now, and they're like, yeah, I'd like to know what the answer is to that. I've got a couple things. Please understand that your scenario that got you into this situation is going to be one of four things. It's going to be, you're at the bar and well, there you go. You're at the bar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's pretty much it. That's at least for some of them, that's all you have to do. Just be at the bar. Right. Well, you look at what a bar is. It's a usually bars aren't bright lit places. They're dark. Usually they're more filled with males. And there's a reason why the doorman, and I was a bouncer for years. Mm -hmm. um, There's a reason why girls are kind of let in for free or they're kind of like let in, they get to the front of the line. You know, it's because we know as the doorman that men are going to hang out longer, more drinks are going to get bought and the bar is going to profit better when you don't have a bunch of dudes sitting at the bar. 
Now you start getting in that mix where you start getting alcohol mixed in with the effects of alcohol and judgment. Uh, and now you're, now you're actually stepping into two of the four at the same time. And it could even be three of the four because the four are this. And I already kind of touched on it, but your most likely engagement with someone is going to be because you've already encountered them. You have some, you have some relationship with them already. We're past that point. It's not a bad guy. It's not like the movies where a dude is going to come out from around the corner and start swinging. So you have to sort of assess the escalation and you have to assess the risk. What is the risk? Is there an imminent threat to that? And if you identify this as, you know what, this could turn into a fight, then you can either step away from that or you can step into that. Your choice to step away from that, is it going to, are you going to trip backwards over your own ego if you step away? Are there people there that you want to witness that you want to have witness you step forward or step back? And thus you're making your decision based on some, what you think someone else's expectation is, not actually what someone else's, else's expectation is. So it could be that girl, but her expectation is, I don't want to see this, but you think her expectation is she wants me to stand up to this guy. Okay. So judgment, poor judgment is one of those four. You made the judgment to go to an environment that is going to have risk in many different forms. Now, I like a good pub just as much as the next guy, but I'm definitely measuring my risk when I go there and I know which ones not to go to. I mean, right? We, we all kind of know which ones yeah, are kinda. probably yeah, not there, the right clubs to go to. You probably would know that something can happen that right? If they pat you down to go into the place, you probably don't need to be there. Man, I, I, I'm going to write that down when I'm done because you're absolutely right about that. So judgment. Uh, so you have the most, the most likely, we talk about most likely. The first one is your prior relationships, your prior engagements. What have you done to this point with someone? Uh, are, you, are you trying to stare someone down? Whatever. The next is wrong place at the wrong time. You know, I usually will say when I'm talking to a dad about working with their children, it could be, you know, you're, you're paying, you, you throw your kid a $20 bill while you're pumping the gas. You have the kid run in and pay for the gas or grab a thing of milk uh, while you're pumping the gas. But they happen to walk in with an, when an armed robbery is going down. Wrong place at the wrong time. There's nothing that they could have done to prevent that, but they happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. That is so, so small on the, uh, on the threat scale. The other one is we have poor judgment, we have a past an acquaintance, and we have wrong place at the wrong time. And the one on the lowest level of probability is going to be an actual bad guy. Someone who sees you, comes after you, and wants to hurt you. Mm -hmm. So we spend our time really asking these questions about the most unlikely to happen. Um, my answer is also, so, okay, so we understand those four. I don't want to get to the answer yet. The next thing you need to understand, everybody needs to understand this. This is like my whole program is built on helping men to understand this, that there is a pre-conflict escalation, as I already explained. You just asked me a question about what happens if in this one very small, just a few seconds of time, that fight can happen or that stabbing happens. And 
Then there's the whole post-conflict. And after that, okay, we will step into a situation, a couple of beers in us, maybe a few shots. We're not thinking right. Something's happening. I don't like what he said to my friend. This whole thing begins to escalate, right? We're making a lot of bad judgment calls. Uh, we're a little bit sedated. The lighting's not right here. There's maybe, you know, people here who I think might think something of me if I act a certain way. So I'm stepping outside of my own identity and stepping into a false identity. Uh, so we're, there, we're stumbling over a whole lot of emotions here. But what we're not doing is we're not identifying the escalation and how to manage it. We're going straight to point of no return. Now, the problem is once we go to point of no return, let's say, great, you're able to kick someone's ass or you're able to stop the situation, get the knife out of the guy's hand. Well, the problem here that I want all of your listeners to understand is that the fight, the fight is not over. In fact, the fight may not be over for years in litigation. You don't know what was picked up on camera because you weren't exercising proper judgment in escalation. You weren't monitoring. You weren't seeing what was going on. You weren't taking mental notes and connecting like what could happen and preparing your mind and preparing your articulation to first responders, law enforcement, or even the doorman on what the situation is, presenting it to them and saying, listen, I am scared for the safety of my friends. I'm scared for the safety of that guy who's being that a jerk because, you know, or whatever, but communicating, articulating. And then once first response is there after the fight is because you know what, you're going to get in a fight at a bar, cops are going to show up End of story. That's just, that's the way it is. And when law enforcement shows up, what is your ability to articulate? And what I mean by that is you say, Hey, the guy came at me and he was saying this, that, and uh, he took a swing at me. I dodged. So I turned, I put a hook in, you know, I, I hit him in the face and he dropped and that was it. You just said a whole lot of things that could present itself in court and hold you liable for a lot of damages. You're just trying to stick up for yourself. So how you articulate things make a whole world of difference. Are you able to, you know, are you being, you know, how are you responding to law enforcement? How are you self-triage immediately after a big fight happens or something happens? How are you able to conduct a quick assessment of your own body? How do you know that you don't have two lacerations on your arm from a knife that you didn't see? How are you able to know where people are? What about your own personal assets, your phone, your wallet? Because now you're dealing with a situation of not losing money, your credit card, but now you're dealing with your identity is now threatened. So there's a whole lot of things in post-conflict that we have to really understand and manage. So my answer now to your question is enter these situations. If we're going to go to places where there is known risk then go into them limiting your exposure to that risk. And if you do have to expose yourself to that risk because you want to get out on the dance floor and you want to have a couple of good drinks and she's hot, then what you need to do is you need to take a moment, really assess what's going on. What are the, you know, what are the imminent threats? Who are the people in there that have a history? Who have you, do you have relationship with that, you know, you may want to, turn around or you may want to engage with to mitigate those risks. And then where are the, you know, where are your exits and obstacles? How are you going to, if a situation happens like a fire even, or, you know, an active shooter situation, when you go into a club, do you, I mean, most of the guys I know don't do 
you know, immediate environmental assessments. They don't know where the bouncers are, where this is, where the steps are. But doing this in a situation where a fight breaks out, shots heard, and getting out of there quickly can make all the difference between life, death, hospital, or incarceration. Sounds like something the military guy would do to walk in there and do like an assessment of everything, like maybe like a spec ops guy or like a, a SEAL. I don't know if you've ever listened to the uh, Jocko Willink podcast, but that seems like the type of thing that, that he would do. And he's also kind of talked about like a similar topic to this, what we're mentioning with, uh, you know, de-escalating in situations and like, you know, being aware of the, the types of people that you might potentially have those types of issues with. And so yeah, it all kind of fits together. And I can I can see what you're saying. And really, just from all that went into it, you know, this whole process that you explained, it sounds like it's almost not even worth it to go there in the first place. Not really. You, you go in, you know, the, 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 the reason why movie screens are like this is because the human eye scans from left to right. And and if you're able to go in and just take a quick inventory, you know what's going on and you know who's where and you look for what could be threats. You tie up any relationships, uh, you know, guy who's seeing your ex-girlfriend or whatever, and you just go over, buy him a drink and hey, man, all's good. And, you know, it's just it's just uh, risk management really is all it is in those situations. You know, I might even I might even explore stepping into things like verbal judo and some of your you know, listeners, if they are. Sorry, I got a flock of geese flying by my place. If you hear them. Um, OK, there's uh, it, 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 you know, it, with. Insecurity. And in nightclub security specifically, we did a lot of work on pacifying subjects, being able to cool, you know, we did what's called a cool down because we dealt with this every single day. And it was hands on Thursday to Sunday. I mean, it was just constant. So like you guys were like going to clubs and all that and trying this stuff out like or. No, no. What I mean is you said hands on like Thursday through Sunday. Thursday through Sunday, there was, I, yeah, I worked in Providence, Rhode Island, and I worked at a uh, club for uh, several years. That was, um, there were punk rock bands. There were, you know, heavy metal bands. Oh, was, this is when you were a bouncer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. So we would be hands-on. There was always incidents. There was all, we were pulling someone off. We were mo- escorting someone out. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a dance club. It was a live music club and there were fights and there were bikers and there were like, it was a, it was a rough place to work. So I got a lot of, yeah, I got a lot of exposure early on to that. And then, like I said, early on in our conversation, um, when I, you know, in in my martial arts career, it really, really began to give me a more holistic understanding of what the needs were in certain environments. And I would really encourage any of your listeners, if they go to nightclubs, single guys, they're going out there to understand a couple of things. Check out some books on de-escalation. You know, there's some work on what's called verbal judo and being able to mm-hmm. like, you know, guy gets hot, gets up in your face. I got to tell you that like, if, if I'm with a girlfriend or, you know, my wife or, you know, my partner, and I'm able to cool the situation down and demonstrate control rather than escalate the situation and show lack of control, that is going to create a much, much deeper brand of trust that they are going to have in me because they're going to be able to see me manage very tense and potentially dangerous situations and bring them to the best outcome. So actually stepping down, not necessarily like 
wimping out or like, but, but being able to manage that, being able to manage that person who's coming at me in a threatening manner, things are escalating, emotions are getting hot. It's about to, it's, you know, it's, we're about to go hands-on, but I'm able to manage it. That says, that says a lot. And to my community of friends, who's the leader? Who's, you know, who's the alpha, right? So I would really kind of step into some of the, you know, uh, becoming a better conversationalist. You know, mm-hmm. if you really want to learn how to defend yourself, well, the first thing I say is get some solid range training. The second thing is get a great attorney. And then the third thing I would say is become an exceptional conversationalist. All right. Yeah. Thank you for that. And so it all makes sense. I can see where you're coming from with it. And uh, I think one thing too, that's important to consider is maybe the type of woman that you might be with, you know, might have different expectations. If it's, I would say, well, at least from our perspective, if it's like a quality person that you're with, she wouldn't expect you to do that sort of thing. But from what I've seen, you know, there are certain types of women where, you know, they want to see something like that happen. You know, it's like, I guess like it gives them energy or it's entertaining to them, or that's like an expectation you might have for the man that they're with. And it's like, well, I mean, unless you want to be a criminal, you know, you probably shouldn't date women like that. Hey, here's two things I can offer your listeners that will, if, if you're with a lady and you really have a, a strong relationship and you want to expand that relationship with her, but you're still young, you're still going out on Saturday nights, you're going clubbing uh, and you're having a good time together. One night, have a discussion with her about her safety and and maybe even on a Thursday or a Wednesday, say, hey, you know what, on Friday, I'd like to have a glass of wine with you and just sit down and, you know, I'd really like, I'm concerned about a couple things. And that's in some of these places that we go to, if anything were to happen, I would want you to know what to do and what I'm going to do and where we can connect so that you're safe because I don't want anything to ever happen to you because you're, you're my queen. And I treasure you. That conversation right there, you just put a lot of money in that bank. And because one of the core values that I've come to learn uh, in my life that a, a good woman like you're talking about looks for in a man is safety. We'll, we'll start with emotional safety, but it certainly goes to physical safety. And Emotional safety, you know, a fight in violence or a bar on fire and a critical mass of people trying to get out the same exit, like what happened several years ago in Rhode Island uh, at that bar when it burned down and the people couldn't get out. That's real. Wait, was that your bar that you worked at? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I yeah. was about to say, Jesus. Like, good, were, good point. Good point. No, it was in a different, different, different town in about, in about 20 years, 15 years later. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was that's a famous, completely different. Yeah. Yeah. It was a famous, uh, a famous situation that happened in, uh, in, in Warwick, Rhode Island, where a club, the band was playing and they had uh, pyro, you know, they had, uh, you know, a fire show going on and, and things caught fire and it, and it, it ignited very fast and, and it spread incredibly down. fast and a lot of people died as a result. Um, anyways, my point is that any of these potential scenarios, also creates emotional damage. You know, uh, you know, your girlfriend's standing there, two of you are leaving a place and a fight breaks out and a guy gets cut up or someone hits the ground and there's, you know, their, their skull breaks or whatever she's witnessed to, it's going to create traumatic damage. 
And I might even invite you to bring that into the conversation. I just don't, you know, sweetheart, I don't want you to be witness to that. I want to make sure that if something happens when we're out together, that we both know what each other are going to do. If two guys confront you and I step in the middle, how do I want you to maneuver? And, you know, here's the reality. Police, if I got, you know, any of your listeners are in law enforcement, they know, they, they know exactly once I start talking about, hey, a domestic situation, when cops have to go to domestic situations because a guy is holding his woman against a wall by her throat and, and, and lumping her up and, and screaming and they're swearing and she's clawing at his face and because he's been beating her. Well, the police officer comes in and their immediate assessment is to get that guy off. And they don't go in and grab him and, and pull him and get him and separate them. You know why? Because she's going to jump on the cops. Who are you beating up my boyfriend? Right. So situations can get really crazy and spin out of control in a lot of directions. So having these conversations beforehand and saying, like, I do not want you to defend me in a situation where I need to de-escalate. I need to get between you and a potential, you know, a, a, where there's a risk threat. I need you to evacuate and I will meet you at X, Y, and Z. Or another thing is to have a code word together, to have a code word, which is, all right, we're going to leave now. So you could use, you know, and the way we do it with the children is code word is going to be based on something that was an enjoyable event. With the kids, now for any dads out there, if you want to use a password, we teach how to do this in my program, but I'm going to share with you. Um, you don't want it to be a scary thing. And I would invite you to do this uh, with your lady too, where, you know, for my family, one of our passwords was uh, strawberry ice cream because we were out on a vacation. The seagull came down and stole the whole thing of strawberry ice cream from us. We all laughed. and It was a fun experience. So when my kids, when they were little and mom said, Hey kids, just out of the blue, she said, let's go get some strawberry ice cream. My kids knew because we did training and movements and parking lots together and we had fun with it. We had made it a game and we had, we enjoyed it. The kids immediately turned and my wife was able to shield the children from visual trauma and from audio and was able to get them out of harm's way quickly. Having this discussion and using a password with your lady, just a safety word saying, look, if I see something, if I see something, I don't want to have to explain it. If I say this word, it means we just calmly get up and you and I walk out and this is how we walk. You're at a 45 degree angle in front of me. I'm going to have my hand around your back and on your hip. That way, if something happens, I can pull you and anchor you close to my body. And there's a lot of different things we can do with that. Most important thing is I feel for your listeners, if they stepped into this conversation, like I said, it's a great investment in their relationship. And if they explored some of the conversational things and how to like de-escalate situations, um, how to be able to identify uh, dangerous things, I wouldn't say step into like going commando in these conversations with her. Don't make her feel as though, hey, you know, something might happen. You don't want to live in paranoia and you don't want her to live in fear. You want her to feel comfortable and safe and honored that you're in her life. So. Okay. Okay. And so I appreciate you breaking it down like that and giving that advice. And this How's is that feel of, for you. What do you, what are your thoughts there? I mean, it makes sense to me. You know, if, uh, if it's somebody that you're serious about, that might be something that you want to have a conversation about because obviously you want to do what's in, the, in their best interest for their safety. And you want to make sure that she acts in a way that's in the best interest of your safety too. Absolutely. And so uh, it makes sense to me. And uh, one question I have for you, and it's, not necessarily related to it, but it's just something that 
you know, I've, I've heard talks about and like other guys I know that have done martial arts, it, it can kind of turn into a debate. But I would ask you, what would you say is like the best martial art for somebody to start? There isn't one. I don't, I don't think there is. I think the one that makes them feel most comfortable. And here's what I mean by that. Um, we all have different life experiences. We all have different needs that need to be answered. And uh, some people are going to be more comfortable standing on their feet than going to the ground. Some people are going to be uh, are going to be going to martial. Everybody goes to martial arts for, for different reasons. I mean, I couldn't, I could write a book on the reasons that I've heard people starting martial arts and almost none of them begin with self-defense. Self-defense is an outcome of studying martial arts. Um, one of the things we need to remember is also we're, we are naturally scared of a lot of things one of which is public performance. That's one of the most, you know, reading in front of public or getting up on stage, people, many, many people, it's the greatest fear. Second is the fear of heights or, or the fear of falling. Now you put those two together and you go into something like jujitsu or Aikido or judo or some of these throwing martial arts, you're asking a person to do the two greatest fears, like falling in front of a group of people for your first time. Like nobody mm -hmm. wants to do that. Karate. Now you're going in and there's a lot of noise and it's, it can be loud and it can be really rapid. Again, that can be really intimidating. And I'm not saying to like, don't do these arts, but people have different fears. So to start, I would go into, I would, you know, if you're, if you want to get into a martial art, Brazilian jiu-jitsu now is, is, has ext is extremely popular. Um, and in some cities, there's a lot of BJJ gyms. Some people gravitate to some arts like Kung Fu because of the cultural elements. Some people go to uh, arts like Aikido because of the Zen and what it can do for their mind. And being able to keep the mind safe and, and being able to take energy and let it pass you and then use that negative energy and throw it back at its source can be so much more valuable in keeping yourself mentally and emotionally safe and alive than uh, you know, a hardcore BJJ school. So it may be what someone needs. What I would encourage everybody to do if they're, want, if they're looking for a place to start is look into you, not into what he says is good. Take a suggestion. Hey, this guy goes to the school and he's, you know, he works with me and he says it's a great place. Cool. But really, you know, do some self inventory. What are your needs? What are you concerned about? Why do you want to start and begin from there and go to a lot of places and check them out? Don't be afraid of the instructor. Ask the hard questions. Martial arts schools, up into, you know, the internet really like, the, the, the masters of the 80s and 90s didn't see the internet coming because everybody made up these real BS stories about who they were and all the black belts they had and all their credentials and everything. And then the internet dropped and people were easily found out. Um, I ask all of anybody, even people who come into my school for the first time, what other schools have you looked at? What have you, what, what have you uh, experienced? And if you're comfortable with the instructor, 
you've done your background and you first you've done your internal, like, what do I want? You go to the school, the school feels comfortable, the place is clean, first of all, that's incredibly important. And not just for the obvious reasons, you don't want to get staph infections or whatever, but because of the attention to detail that a coach or a sensei or, you know, the instructor, whatever you call it, whatever they call themselves, whatever the school calls them, the attention to detail that they put in that is going to be the same attention to detail that they put in you. And if the place is trashed, you're going to get treated, your lessons are going to be trash as well. So those are my three things. Look within you. What do you really want? Travel around and visit the schools. What do you see? How does that feel? Trust those feelings. And how do you connect with the instructor? And don't be afraid to ask hard questions about their true credentials. Who in the school is first aid qualified? Man, that, will, that trips up 90% of the martial. Hold on a second. Let me get this straight. You're teaching people how to choke one another, how to do leg locks and arm locks and neck throws, but nobody here is first aid qualified? Like, come on. Like, that right there is a signal. Step back. Safety is not a pri- priority of theirs. So ask hard questions. Don't be afraid. Thank you for that. You talked about like how different people go to uh, different martial arts for different things. Thinking back, what got me into into Muay Thai when I was doing it was uh, one, I was looking for like a cool way to work out. And then two, I'm not going to lie. I thought the shorts and all that were pretty cool, too. Why not? <laughs> I, I thought Why not? the shorts were pretty badass. And then like I saw like videos about the people doing like the uh, the Muay Baran with like the hand wraps and everything with uh, like the rope. And I just thought it was all pretty cool. And that was what made me get into it. So I guess maybe that was my reason. I might even I might even ask you to explore that a little bit more. You told me that you had as a child, you got your black belt in Taekwondo, right? Yeah. Kind of similar arts, right? So, so one thing that I found teaching martial arts now for over two decades is that people who come from other arts usually almost always are more comfortable in or like they come to me because they started judo or they started something of a Japanese origin, right? So for you, it makes perfect sense that that's what would attract you. You're just kind of leveling up to that next level, Muay Thai. And, you know, they also have a strong spiritual aspect to it. I mean, that is such a rich and powerful martial art. That only makes sense to me that you would go in that direction. I'm looking forward to hearing your next step in this journey once you heal up and getting back into it and getting back after it. Yeah, I mean, it might be coming sooner than later. I, I finished the uh, physical therapy and everything for my shoulder. And so I'm fully recovered for the most part. You know, I just get some inflammation in it if I work it out too much here and there. But I do want to get back into it because I enjoyed it a lot. And I would say something about like the toughness of it that's part of like the Thai culture. I would say that was a huge difference from when I was doing Taekwondo when I was a kid. You know, you're in there with your shirt off and everything and like you're actually like getting kicked. And, all, and so it actually hurts. Like, it's not pleasant, you know, as opposed to when you're doing the Taekwondo stuff. I mean, we might do like some very light sparring or whatever, but uh, it's mainly just like doing forms and that sort of thing. And so like kind of the toughness that it put in me doing the uh, like the physical training where they had us doing the running and like the ab circuits and all that. And then getting kicked and punched in the face by guys that were like a good bit heavier than me. I would say that was something that was kind of satisfying about it, too, where like at the end of the day, when I would go home, I felt like I did something. It felt masculine in a way, I guess you could say. Absolutely. And I want to I want to kind of explore something that you just shared with myself and the listeners. Mm -hmm. At no point 
did you step into the, you know, I was learning how to fight. I was learning how to kick ass. I was learning how to, you know, this would work on the street. Mm-hmm. That is not the elevate. That's not the outcome. That's not the purpose of martial arts. It's very, very short, very short and very linear thinking. Anybody can learn, you know, there, I don't care how many black belts you have and how many stripes or ranks of black belts you have. Some kid who grew up in the ghetto and has gotten his ass kicked by his drunk dad since he was three years old is going to kick your ass. Someone who had that exposure over and over throughout their life is going to be like, that's, that's, a, that's an issue. That's a threat. So martial arts, however, can, of course, give you that ability through the exposure, but the ultimate outcome of a martial artist and, it, you know, dads, if you're looking at getting your kids and any men out there who have children, I want you to really think about and step into control, your ability to have self-control under the most stressful and dire situations and still be able to operate and lead. This is what true martial arts should bring out in a person is through those, like you're saying, those kicks over and over, bare chested, just, just getting hammered on and beaten and exhausted, brought you to a place of elevation. You felt more in touch with who you are as a man. Now think about how that continues as you expose yourself to it over decades. Then if you're in a situation that's a catastrophic situation or a family member's dying or there's something that's just horrible, you are going to have complete agency and self-control over your emotions and mental state not just because you need to for you, but you need to for your other loved ones. You're going to be able to show up hard and strong. And that's what we want. And, and that's, what's, that's what the, a lot of the old masters have written about, not just from Japanese culture, Chinese culture, Western culture, but throughout the world, throughout history, it is being able to have absolute and complete control and awareness of oneself in their place and in that moment. To be able to, you know, nobody's going to fight someone who has complete control of themselves. It's just not going to, in a dangerous situation, everyone's going to look to that person as a leader. Now, dads, think about what that does for your children, whether it's bullying, whether it's pressures of school, pressures of peers, whether it's life throws them situations when they're teen and they have to face certain decisions whether it be sex or whether it be narcotics or whether or whatever the situation, I mean, go on and on with this. But the exposure to being able to work in it towards complete control of their self, their mind, their body, their spirit, and their emotions. That's what we want as martial artists. And as dads, that's the direction we want to raise our kids into. Martial arts is a highlighter for that. We, however, are the teachers for that. I like the way you broke that down and explained it. I appreciate you doing that for the listeners and for me. Thanks. And uh, one more question I have for you before we wrap things up. And I ask this um, to everybody that comes on the show. It doesn't have to be related to anything we talked about today. But if you had to pick the best piece of advice that's ever been given to you or that you've read somewhere, what would you say it is? Sure. I'm going to tell you uh, the every one of the listeners, men, uh, you know, I'm almost 50. So I might be a little older than you. I'm sure a couple of you guys are a little older than me and you're saying, hey, what are you talking about? But 
I want you to step into tomorrow and challenge a lot of what you are told as men, where family first, the kids come first, the wife, you're, you know, she comes before you. And I know this may sound uh, very counterintuitive against everything we were raised to believe, especially if we're brought up in strong families or strong cultural communities where family first, family first. We always say that, you know, the kids come first. Hey, you know what? The kids come first. Got to do what we got to do. Gentlemen, no, you come first. And here's why I say that. I, don't, I do not want you stepping in tomorrow, into tomorrow in selfishness, but I want you to step in tomorrow in self-awareness. And here's a couple truths. If the plane is going down, the masks drop and you put, them on your, you put it on yourself first, and then you put it on your children, and then you help your wife. That's even what they say at the beginning of every flight. Put it on yourself first. There's a reason for that. Now, let's say you're on a bus and someone comes on with a gun and they go up and they point the gun right to your wife's chest. I have done this in workshops for 20 something years. And I ask a man, what would you do in that scenario? And she's like, dude, I'm going to jump in front. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to let that happen to my wife. Okay. So you're shielding. Great. You're dead. Now they get savage on her and you can't do anything about it. You need to disconnect her and be like, this is you and I brother, like you and I, and I'm not going to die. You come first because where I'm going to is that you need to show up as the best man physically, as the best man mentally. And you need to have the most solid emotional state that you can for her and for your children. And if you exhaust yourself, if you work that second job, and if you just go, 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 because you got to put food on the table, you got to provide, you got to, you know, you got to get them here and get them there and do all these selfless acts that you think that you are doing, brother, you are not doing that. By breaking yourself down, you are lessening the man that your children and your wife or your girl or your lady, they need. You need to make sure that tomorrow when you step into life, you are number one because your awareness of who you are is what's going to determine the relationships that everyone around you has with you. And guess what? If you're tired, if you suck, if you're broken, then those relationships will tire quickly. They will be challenged and they will break. So I'm glad you asked that question because it's one of the most important things for me looking back in my life. I was told a false narrative. I was told you need to put everyone first. You need to put the kids free. You decided to become a dad. You put them for family first. But man, was I wrong. And uh, every day now I step in putting myself first because I want my children. I want my family. I want my business partners. I want my, my friends, my social group, my relationships, and that new friend like yourself. I want to be the best possible person I can be for them. And the only way for me to do that is to put in that work every single day for me. I see where you're coming from. You have to learn to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people to the best of your ability. And, and even sense. build yourself. I would say go beyond taking care of yourself, right? right? Because I think taking care of ourselves, taking care of ourselves is sort of like a, it's a non-negotiable. And of course, we're all going to do that. We may skip a shower every now and then or whatever, but we take care of ourselves and we, I got this idea, but like mm-hmm. building ourselves, 
having those goals, having those gigantic dreams and sharing them with our kids and being like, this is where we're going. Like I'm leading the way kids get on board, like, and be that man. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I see where, I see where you're coming from then. And well, that pretty much wraps up another episode of improvement. If you guys like the content, if you like my guest today, uh, please make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple podcast, Spotify, or any platform that you listen to it on. And also, if you'd like to find some more content, make sure to check out the website, improvementpodcast.com. And for you, uh, if anybody would like to find your podcast or just find any of the stuff that you do, where should they go? Sure, Kamani. Um, but before, before I offer that, I just want to take a moment and thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, I know how much time it takes to do a podcast and do all this work. And with every guest that you bring in, every interview and episode that you create, which takes hours and hours of time, you're helping men. And the thing that we need to understand as listeners is that you will never know, unless we write it in a review or whatever, what in this interview really, or this conversation we had, really resonated through you. The questions that you asked me in the conversation we had could be life-changing to men. And I'm going to almost guarantee you that every one of the conversations that you have with your other guests has impacted someone in a positive way that's going to change their life. And I just want to take a moment and acknowledge you for that. And thank you for the work that you're doing and the light that you're bringing to the world. So thank you, sir. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. Um, I can be found at closequarterdad.com. And and you can just Google it and you'll find me there. And, uh, you know, you can hit me on Insta or Facebook at Close Quarter Dad. Yeah, anybody ever has any questions or just, you know, wants to talk to me, maybe they have a kid and they're having a problem and, you know, they want to step into a conversation with me. I'm more than happy to have that. Great. Well, all right, then. Well, thanks for coming on to the show. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Take care.